This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 452 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will embark on the 11th season of the Yellow World Pods. And we have a lot of things to talk about. Emre Can becoming the new team captain, Marcel Zabitzer joining the Black and Yellows, Dortmund's preseason form slash injury malaise. <laughs> yep, same old, same old. And uh, yeah, speaking of same old, <laughs> here with me is Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias, how are you doing? Well, given that it's the 11th season of the Yellow Wall Pod, I think old is an apt description. Uh, when started this thing, I only had one kid. Now I have three. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting 11 years, um, and it's great to continue on. I, I am, I guess I'm looking forward to the season. We'll see how it goes, Stefan. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward is, I think, a very good... <laughs> Very good approach because I am not sure how much I want to look back. But uh, as Tessit said, it's part of our story now. <sighs> yeah, where do we begin? Let's begin with Emre Can. Just as I had it uh, written down, he has been announced as the new Dortmund captain as uh, Marco Reus uh, stepped down from the captaincy. Since you are the uh, greatest Emre Can supporter, I think. Uh, it's only right that I ask you about this development before I have my own two cents about it. Okay, so uh, yes, probably on the podcast consistently I was the, the biggest Emre Can uh, supporter, even though I wasn't ignorant to uh, the issues surrounding him, but I always appreciated his willingness to fight, his not, not <laughs> literally, uh, always, but... <laughs> Although against Ajax, he was also right there in that brawl. (laughs) But he never gives up. He gave 100%. Even when he was down, even in in the times when he wasn't doing well, he dusted himself off and kept going. I mean, the amount of times over the last few seasons where, you know, midfielder Emre Can makes the last-ditch tackle uh, says a lot about his character. And when we look back on, I want to say it's the Augsburg match from last season, where we'll say the old Emre Can would have easily gotten triggered by, I forget who it was from Augsburg, who shoved him twice, and Emre Can just kind of I don't know, the Augsburg laughed. players are all like yeah, like random, what, in the background anime-like yeah. characters, you just don't no, know them. No, it's plug and play, and uh, <laughs> he, he just kind of chuckled it off, and that's one of my favorite Emre Can moments, because it, it showed true growth. You know, people say, well, he should be, you know, grown up. I mean, he's 29 years old. But that being said, you know, when I was in my 20s, even at 29, you still have a little bit more uh, emotion behind you, behind your reactions at times. And so it's good to see it. Um, he obviously had a really good season. Uh, I I don't know if I would say he was the best Dortmund player of the season, but he was definitely... In, in that discussion, as far as Marco Roy stepping down from that role, I can I I understand why Marco Royce is now 34 years old, which is really hard to believe, to be perfectly honest. Um, and he still looks relatively still, young, too. Yeah, he? I know. Damn him for that. Um, no, <laughs> but he you know, he wasn't. A, a number one automatic starter anymore that had moved past him. You know, he extended his contract, but, you know, I see a Marco Royce retirement um, here coming pretty soon. Uh, and so having this transition happen whilst he's still on the team, I think is actually really good. It sets a, a good message. It's kind of like, you know, when Mats Hummels came back, it wasn't immediately that Marco Reus is no longer captain. It's Mats Hummels. No, the team had moved on. And I think this is also kind of ushering in that next step uh, in development in the squad. So also getting that balance right between very young and seasoned veterans. 
So I, I have no issue with Marco Roy stepping down from the captaincy. I think that makes perfect sense. As far as Emre Can taking up, um, you know, I look at the rest of the squad. You know, Mats Hummels is also 34. He's going to be 35 at the end of the year. So he's not going to be around much longer. I don't think Gregor Kobel is really there to be captain yet. I could see that happening because he's not, you know, uh, a wallflower. He's he's no shrinking violet. Let's see if we can find another flower analogy there. But when we <laughs> when we get past him, Julian Brandt, he's not a leader in that sense. And then you look at front, um, Sebastian Alea, no. So really, the default for me is almost an Emre Can. Uh, you know, you could maybe look at, at Kobel in future. But uh, right now, if Marco Reus is giving up the captaincy, I think Emre Can, I, I can agree with that decision, uh, knowing that it's also based on just one season. But... A captain's more than performance. It's also about attitude and rallying the troops. And Emre Can always has done that, even when he wasn't playing well. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a leader. Uh, you, you can't argue against that. The only thing I feel a little bit uneasy about, and uh, speaking as one of the, say, bigger detractors on this show, is that I just really hope that his performance that he showed, especially in the second half of last season, um, can continue because if you want to be the captain of Borussia Dortmund, obviously you need to be, uh, you know, you need to have a certain personality. You can't just be uh, some random dude. And uh, in that regard, you know, it's I, I've I've seen this a lot. A lot of people say that it's maybe better for Marco Royce to not be captain because it always felt a little bit like there was a weight on him being the captain, a little bit similar to how it was with Marcel Schmelzer, if you remember uh, his captaincy. And uh, yeah, but but uh, that, that being said, other than that, I'm perfectly happy with Emre Can being the captain. And I'm a little surprised to say that myself, I would have been also fine had it been Hummels, had it been Zule, had it been Kobel, or I don't know, that, that would have been that would have been fine for me. Uh, but Emre Can, I think, uh, is, is perfectly suited for the role if the performances on the field are also uh, in line with that. Because as the captain, I think you need to be one of the better players too. Not necessarily, but I think it does help. So, um, yeah, an interesting development nonetheless. And I'm, I'm glad we uh, talked about it. Uh, Emre Can obviously also uh, extended his contract, uh, I think, like a week before his uh you know, captaincy was announced. So that is also very important in the sense that uh, you have some uh, some long-term captain there and maybe also a core to build around. And uh, Emre Can, right now, as, as the squad planning looks, is part of that core. But obviously, there is now a little bit more competition for his spot with Marcel Zabitza entering... Uh, Borussia Dortmund's team and uh, joining, of course, from uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, he was loaned out uh, from Munich to Manchester United. And I think Dortmund paid around 19 million for him. So all in all, I would say a fair deal. Don't think Dortmund over or underpaid for him. But that being said, uh, Marcel Zabitzer in his first appearances um, has already impressed me quite a bit. And looks like a very capable and solid player in midfield, which also will take a lot of pressure off uh, Felix Metzger, uh, who, of course, uh, had his uh, first brace for the Black and Yellows. And we can talk about that uh, subject in a, in a little bit. Well, but uh, in, in the meantime, Matthias, Marcel Zabitzer, obviously also team captain for RB Leipzig, <laughs> uh, not too long ago, now playing for Dortmund. Um, what do you make of this purchase? Well, like you said, I think uh, it's smart. He was available. They paid, you know, 19 million. According to Transfermarkt, his transfer value is 20 million. So they basically paid market value for him. 29 years old. He's a veteran player. He's very consistent. I don't remember many injury issues with him. So that's very important. <laughs> um, and it, it adds depth in an area. I mean, 
so obviously Jude Bellingham is gone. Um, and Jude Bellingham, for the type of player he was, you were never going to get a like-for-like like replacement. That's just not going to happen. He is a generational talent. And I kind of think of, you know, some of the, the script from Moneyball from the movie where they say we're going to recreate, you know, Johnny Damon or whatever in the aggregate. And that is what it seems Dortmund are trying to do uh, in central midfield. If we look at Felix Mecha and Masa Zabitza, they're different types of players. And Mecha is more offensive focused. Zabitza is more central and defensive, even though he can carry the ball forward very well and move the ball forward very well. And then you combine that with Julian Brandt and then John and Etchan kind of behind them. They have options in, in rotational things that they can then do in that kind of central midfield space. And having too much depth isn't a sentence we will ever say at Borussia Dortmund uh, when it comes to positions that Dortmund are very reliant upon functioning for their overall tactical approach. You know, when you look at team pressing and stuff like that, that core central area just has to work. If it doesn't work, it breaks down. Your back line will always be exposed. It doesn't matter if you have the four greatest defenders in the world. It 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 gives problems. It, it you know, in transition. And Masa Zabitza is very good at solidifying that. So, you know, I don't really... Pay much attention to preseason friendlies. I've been saying that now for 11 seasons. I barely ever watch any. That being said, uh, from the snippets I've watched, good. Watched him, you know, in his previous stints where he was. He was always a very good player. So, no, I'm I'm happy. Uh, and I'm happy that Owen didn't overspend. And we'll get a few good years out of him. Yeah, definitely. Considering he's 29 now. And uh, obviously... We have to address the elephant in the room is that he <laughs> actually grew up sleeping in uh, FC Bayern <laughs> bed sheets. <laughs> so that's a big yuck. Yeah, but he's Austrian. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing. Austrian. I mean, it's it's kind of, that's not surprising if you look at the geography. Yeah, and for him going to Bayern was actually a childhood dream. So can't believe they ended it like that so quickly. Um, I'm also not sure because I really don't fire... Fire, uh, follow Bayern closely. Uh, sorry. Uh, I don't know why exactly it didn't work out for him at, at Bayern. Do, do you know why, by any chance? I don't really. Maybe just I mean, all I can imagine is Thomas Tuchel just doesn't see him in his system. And uh, they have a lot of depth. Yeah, they I have a lot of depth in there for players that are just, if you look at Goretzka, because Goretzka is not even a guaranteed start. Uh, which is something two years ago you never would have imagined saying. So Zabitza kind of falls even below that. And so it's just, well, we got to turn this asset into money. We don't care if Dortmund buy it. We don't care who buys it. And they kind of got the value of the player. So, you know, Thomas Tuchel himself and then Bayern in general, there's not a lot of room for sentimentality there unless you're looking at like generational players like a Sebastian Schweinsteiger or a Thomas Müller, people that are true Bayern guys. Beyond that, they are pretty ruthless, which is, you know, it's one of their strengths as, as a club that they're like, nah, move on, next. And, um, you know, the fact that they can just dump a player of his quality, of his proven quality. This isn't like... He's 19 and we don't know. He's 29 and we know. So given his proven quality and Tuchel just went, there's no room for him in my system on a consistent basis. We can't justify the wage spend. I, I think it's probably just as pragmatic as that. I I have another theory. And I say we just were out to weaken Leipzig. <laughs> because that's also something that Bayern do. And so, uh, yeah, maybe we're the benefactors of that. Um, obviously, I'm... Um, one thing he doesn't really do as, as well as Jude Bellingham is uh, the, the whole uh, take-ons thing, since uh, that's really something where he is in, in like the low 6th percentile on FB ref, um, because uh, obviously that's one of the main strengths of Jude Bellingham, but uh, I would uh, say that uh, Zabitza is probably a little bit of a better passer when it comes to progressive passes and uh, 
through balls and uh, the likes like that. Um, and I think this is probably one of his main strengths. Um, compared to Metcher and Bellingham, I wouldn't say for him by himself. Um, but I th I think it's going to happen. So one reason why I think he's going to play a, or, or create a lot of assists um, is not because uh, the playmaking capability by itself, um, but because he's a very good pressing player and a very good ball winner. And uh, he... He sometimes pushes up really far, uh, almost plays more as a number 10 when in defense than a number 8, um, just because he is such an aggressive player and uh, when it comes to interceptions and uh, in, you know winning the ball high in midfield. As we've seen, for example, in the friendly against Manchester United, um, where he just uh, intercepted a really poor pass um, and, and passed it right to Marlon, I think it was. Um, I think these are the situations where uh, Marcel Zabitzer excels and uh, is a is a player that really does fit into Dortmund's system. Uh, he is not the tallest, um, but he does win a lot of aerials too. So in that category, I think him and Metscher are, are relatively even matched. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there are obviously some key differences, but uh, I think what a really good part is um, about both these midfielders is that they are very... Uh, threatening in front of goal that they both have a good uh shot that can score or just you know be a threat from like the second row as we say in, in german and uh, i think diversifying your uh your goal threat from midfield uh, certainly helps i mean jude bellingham also scored a lot of goals but um you also you know whiffed on a lot of chances so i i wonder if that in any way shape or form uh, helps or doesn't help, we shall see. Um, but uh, at least from that standpoint, I'm quite excited about the season now. Um, obviously, on the last episode, I talked uh, about Felix Metzger, uh with Lars already. But Matthias, um, what is your opinion uh, on signing a very controversial player, let's say, which uh, at least on Twitter and uh, elsewhere already has caused rifts between Dortmund fans? Uh, considering his transphobic uh, positions that he is publicly displaying. Yeah, um, about that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, if we, if we, uh, and it's funny, I've had actually on Twitter X, whatever you want to call that trash heap of a platform. <laughs> and just so you know, Twitter's always been a dung pile. Let's just, it's always been a flaming pile of turd garbage so it's not really gotten any worse let's be perfectly honest no matter which it's gotten worse i don't know it's gotten in worse. my opinion i don't care which billionaire owns it they're all a bunch of assholes anyway so anyway i've gotten <laughs> with that out of the way with that out of the way i've gotten a few dms asking me on my opinion about nemecha and uh you know a lot of the conversations are compartmentalizing between sports side and non-sports side, on-field, off-field, um, which as a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan is kind of a, a constant theme for the, at least the last, you know, 35 years. And it's very hard for me at times to, to separate the two. Uh, you know, on the pitch, athletically, sports-wise, I'll be perfectly honest, I don't have a big opinion about him because I haven't seen him much because I don't watch Wolfsburg because it's Wolfsburg and I'd rather watch paint dry. Um, <laughs> now he's performed well, you know, he, he did well against Ajax. That's great. But it's, it's one it's game. One Otherwise game. It was it's a preseason friendly. Again, I don't really care about preseason friendlies. So that aspect, you know, we'll we'll kind of put aside and see what happens. I can kind of see where he's going to fit in. I, I am optimistic there. Uh, when it comes to the financials involved, I'm a little bit less happy about it. I think Dortmund stretched a little bit. Now, granted, he's only 22. So, you know, you kind of, the theory is, of course, he develops at Dortmund, becomes a higher caliber player, and then eventually maybe you cash in for $50 million. Uh, that's, that's the math these days. I think more $20, 25000000 million would have been a better purchasing price, in my opinion. So getting on to the other stuff, obviously it is, 
if that is what he thinks, then that is what he thinks. I don't agree with him. I don't agree with the analogies driven. Now, you know, he did the typical thing of, well, you know, not saying it directly, but by retweeting it, you're essentially saying it directly. You're just using somebody else's words, which for me, I I dislike even more because you don't even have uh, the courage to just say directly what you think. You're kind of using a false screen behind that. Um, it's... I I mean, obviously, I wish he wouldn't think that. I wish he wouldn't say that. Uh, there's no wishing that away. For Dalton as a club to then still sign him... That's that's a hard choice to make. They have personal conversations with him. Um, you know, if he now doesn't post those things moving forward, that's one thing. But obviously, odds are his opinion hasn't changed. Now, granted, his opinion may have changed because maybe this put a mirror in front of him and went, that's not cool. You don't. That's not a way to think because he got that pushback. And when you're young that can happen. You say something, you do something in the moment, or this is something you believe and somebody puts a really hard mirror in front of you and goes, no. And then you start rethinking that. I mean, hell, it, it, it happens later in life too. Uh, so my hope is there that this one can only hope for you. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> my hope is that, that this was maybe a catalyst for him to change on his views on that. Um, I've heard some people say, you know, I shouldn't sign him. He's too religious. He was wearing a cross. I'll be honest. I don't care about that. That's his personal choice. If he is religious and he's wearing a cross. Yeah, he I, can be religious we, and we wear see, a cross. Yeah, Nobody cares. I, well, no, a lot of people cared because I saw the posts uh, when he right. got signed. And people were like, oh, look at him wearing a cross. I'm like, okay, no. You see, oftentimes players go onto the pitch praying whatever religion they follow uh, if if that's going to be a hallmark to disenfranchise someone based on their religion, I'm not going to have that conversation with people. Um, but no, I mean, Borussia Dortmund literally, you know, the Dreifaltigkeitskirche was is part of of the found, yes, founding of absolutely. the club. So it's it's not like Borussia Dortmund uh, does not have religious foundations itself, and I think religious freedom is very much. Uh, on the placard of the Borussia Dortmund Verbindet uh, campaign. So, if if you say he can, he can wear a cross and not, uh, you know, be an open Christian, <laughs> um, I I think that is also wrong. But uh, obviously, the open Christianity ends where transphobia and uh, other uh, hate starts. I would say. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, should Dortmund have not signed him based on that? I don't know. That's that's not for me to say. Um, it, it's it's difficult. It's difficult because I am <laughs> I am not morally pure either, like nobody else is, and so I I don't want to say that somebody who echoes those other sentiments, no matter how much I disagree with them, that they don't have a right then to make a living. That's just a very slippery slope uh, that I'm not willing to go down. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a very difficult subject. It was also funny. Uh, I was uh, watching the Ajax game on the couch with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> don't want score and she celebrated and she saw who it was and it was the yay went in sort of into a nay. <laughs> it's kind of funny to see. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think this is a, a subject that will uh, accompany us throughout the season and I don't know if it will get any easier. But at least... From a footballing standpoint, even though it's it's not great to say, you know, to separate these things, but uh, in in a sense, I feel like I, I I need to because he will play football for Borussia Dortmund if I want it or not. Um, he at least looks decent, and the potential is there. So if if it weren't uh, for uh, hateful views that he carries or carried, I don't know, um, then I think. He would be a very good signing, very good, you know, player with a lot of potential Let, that you can develop. Let's let's be perfectly honest. If he performs really, really well, 
and he doesn't post on social media in the degree that he did in the past. Um, the majority of Borussia Dortmund fans will move past it. Uh, if he, however, doesn't do one of those two things. Now, if he doesn't perform well, nobody, I mean, like they're, they're just going to use a hammer to, to hammer him with, uh, no matter what happens. If he performs, doesn't perform well and posts more things like that or performs well and posts more things like that, then it's going to be more difficult. And then Borussia Dortmund are going to be pushed into a different position because now it's their player that they're going to have to discipline in some some way. Um, and I've seen some people say, well, you know, uh, look at what other teams and other sports do when someone, you know, uh, abuses their spouse. Well, that's still a little, that's still significantly different. Uh, exacting physical violence upon someone. Um, and, and obviously, if a Dortmund player does that, um, I would be not just for Borussia Dortmund sanctioning the player, but severing ties. Um, so As they've done with Nico Schulz, even yeah. though his allegations have not been proven True. in court, of course. True. Um, but, you know, I mean, they, 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 there was more to Nico Schulz than that allegation. There was, there was also the fact that, like, literally nobody wants the guy. Um, the the thing with Felix Netscha, it's all in his hands. I mean, that's the thing. Everything is in his hands on his legacy at Borussia Dortmund, how fans perceive him, how he's treated. If he plays really well and he shuts up on social media, which in my opinion should just be a general guideline for athletes, um, then I think the majority of Borussia Dortmund fans will move past it over the course of a season or two. Um, yeah, I mean, we also should not be so deluded to say that, you know, supporting a football team and the footballers playing for it, you would probably support people that hold homophobic views. Just statistically yeah. and or the just way people you the don't whole like. culture is. I mean, people you just, yeah, just genuinely that. don't like. Like, uh, that's <laughs> that person's an asshole. But I love the team. I mean, again, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know. But everyone involved are assholes, yeah, really. Well, kind of, ish. From the but fans hey to now, the hey now, owners. Hey now, this is coming from someone living outside of Philadelphia. I don't want to hear about <laughs> fans being assholes. But uh, I, I live inside the desert, true. first of all. Fair enough. Um, and I'm not an Eagles fan. Okay, that helps. But yes. <laughs> but yes. So, I mean, be that as it may, it'll, it'll come down to it. This is obviously a narrative that will be uh, told every single time he plays, uh, at least in the beginning of the season. And I mean, let's be honest, how often did the media uh, uh, drum during every Dortmund match when Dortmund had a two goal lead in the 70th minute about blowing a two goal lead against Bremen, you know, and this is not that. Uh, So, yeah, this will be something that's always going to be brought up at least in the first season uh, and at minimum in the first half of the season. And then it's down to his behavior on and off the field. Right. Anyway, I think it's time to move on because there are other new players that, uh, you know, were uh, happy to give some uh, early impressions. Uh, Rami Benzabaini is one of those. Uh, Matthias, I know you haven't watched much, so I don't know uh, how much you can say about him. But uh, I think, as expected, um, he looks fairly solid. Um, Obviously, more solid as a defender. I'm um, going forward. He obviously does have a lot of uh, pace and dy- dynamicism, which uh, does help. Um, I'm, I'm sort of okay with the transfer, but I've uh, said on on the previous shows that I'm not too psyched about him. I do think that he uh, does also make a lot of tactical mistakes, but uh, obviously it's very early in the season. We haven't seen those yet, so so far so good. Um, but, uh, yeah, but what's your opinion on, on transfer? I don't know if I've asked you about him since he's joined or not. No, and, uh, we kind of briefly chatted about it. I, yeah, I mean, so the fact that it's a free transfer that already gets like a bunch of thumbs up. So, you, you know, you didn't spend that money. Obviously wages are going to be what wages are. 
He's 28 years old. I think uh, defensively, he's an upgrade over Guerrero. Offensively, he's a downgrade. Ha- I'm an upgrade defensively over Guerrero. <laughs> I, I mean, he's also a more physical presence. So that'll always help because Guerrero, some of his some of his biggest problems were just whenever it got physical, he just kind of fell away. And obviously in the air, Guerrero is useless. Uh, ben Sabahini gives a little bit more option, a little bit, a little more vertical uh, in, in his game there. And he's a little bit more of a more, not even a little, but he's more of a physical presence than Guerrero. Um I think I think I think we have to we have to actually talk about this a little bit more because um you know the fullback position is obviously one of the most complex positions in football right now because you basically have to fill in as a as a center back at times and you're also an attacking midfielder that can dribble inside the box has to cross uh, like the the amount the skill set for a, a modern fullback is is crazy high uh the requirements to to fulfill that so if you uh, look at your footballing CV and all your your skill sets. If you if you make a good fullback or not, um, it's it's not that easy. So um, there were already a lot of instances uh, where he had to uh, you know, defend as uh, sort of a center back like uh, marker. And I want to say right from the get go, it looks really clean. It looks good, and that to me already is a big plus because so many times Guerrero was right in the vicinity of the attacker that uh, came at the far post from across, but he just did not have um, the the oomph or physicality or whatever you want to call it, or maybe even the timing, which is also very important, to defend it properly. And uh, if that's already an upgrade, I, th- I think that will save Dortmund, I don't know, three to four, maybe five goals a season, which in some crucial games can really make a big difference. So... At least in that regard, um, I'm I'm already very happy. And uh, even though Guerrero, I think, improved uh, over the last two seasons in, in that category quite a lot, especially last season, um, stamina is also a thing that uh, Guerrero wasn't, uh, you know, he was never the best athlete. And Ben Sabaini uh, most certainly uh, can go at a higher pace for 90 minutes. I think those two factors um, already make me a little happy to have that now. Obviously, there are a lot of uh, footballing skills that Guerrero possesses that Benzabaini does not, but uh, his first touch um, looks also very well. If uh, there's a switch of play, he can, uh, because that's how I measure my left backs and right backs ever since Guerrero, if the ball arrives from the other side of the field, can you put it right in front of you dead center uh, with one touch and he's able to do that. And that to me is already very important um, to have that sort of technical skill and he is shown that uh, consistently. So... In that category, I'm also happy. Obviously, his uh, approach uh, to playmaking, to passing, to crossing is very different, and uh, Dortmund's attackers and him will have to get used to it. But, Matthias, sorry for cutting you off and going on a monologue. Uh, these are already positive things after saying that I am i wasn't too happy with him as a player, but I, I already have a couple of things to, to list off where, I'm, at least for now, I'm positive about. Yeah, and, and one of the areas that I'm going to judge him on is hustle. Um, if we, one of my biggest, I was never shy about criticizing Guerrero defensively and the amount of goals and breakaways that were a direct result of his lack of work rate and hustle when it came comes to coming back. When, when we compare that to when Riasson or Marius Wolf would be on the left side, Technically, there's no question, far inferior players to Guerrero. But when it came to hustling back, getting back in position and being in a defensive player, which you have to be, I mean, it's it's defender is in the name. Um, they were better than him. <laughs> and and if you combine that with a player that's better than Riasson and Wolf, technically, it's more his it's his natural side, stuff like that. I I think overall it's great. That being said, I'm still sad that Guerrero decided to go to Bayern. Uh, I mean, that was a Guerrero decision. That was not a Borussia Dortmund decision. I think him in central midfield, um, if that's where they would have ended up placing him, which I kind of feel like they probably would have, because I think they wanted. Yeah, I think that was they, the clear they, plan they once they had it. Anyway, I don't even know if they would have brought in Felix Nemecha at that point, and they certainly would have wouldn't have brought him in for that price. I think they may have bought him and said, "Hey, you know, this is 
this is how mu- it's kind of like with Alvarez. They said, this is how much we're willing to spend. And if the club would say, no, we want more, they'd be like, nah, we're good. And when you look at Borussia Dortmund, when that whole situation there with Alvarez and so on, I, I think Dortmund made the right decision. I mean, with Chan, with Ershan, and now with Zabitza coming in as well, you know, they didn't overspend for a player because at the end of the day, Ajax wanted them to overspend. Now they're going to have West Ham, you know, blow Premier League money on him. Um, so I think it's win-win for for player and two clubs in that situation. So again, Rafael Guerrero leaving and leaving to Bayern is the thing that really bugs me because he should know better. But then again, so should Hummels and Mario Götze. Um, but... You know, Guerrero has one of his biggest fanboys at Bayern in Thomas Tuchel. So, you know, I can I can see that he wanted to play again for the for a coach that he really really liked and that really likes him. So, probably also plays into the whole Zabitza could leave because Guerrero's there, and obviously Guerrero is not going to be a starting left back at Bayern. Um, no, that's exactly what happened. So. Uh, that that you know, it's kind of this little domino effect from that. So yeah, we'll 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 see, right? Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, right now Guerrero is obviously working on. Uh, I was gonna say stilts, but it's crutches, <laughs> and uh, he is injured. So um, I I hope he gets better soon. Obviously, but um, yeah, that's uh, always a risk with Guerrero on your team that he might be out. But um, looking at the Dortmund squad. I think injuries, once again, Matthias, going into the new season is already a subject. Um, Gregor Kobel and Nico Schlotterbeck are already doubtful or questionable for the first game of the Bundesliga season. Um, they're already ruled out, or I, th- I think it's, it's highly doubtful that they will play in the Cup on, I think it's Saturday, against TSV Schott Mainz. And, uh, yeah, Thomas Meunier, uh, obviously a player Dortmund want to rid themselves of uh, played four minutes against Manchester United I think it was or was it Chelsea I don't even remember and uh, tore a muscle fiber and is now out for probably the entirety of the rest of the uh, transfer window which ends at the end uh, of August slash beginning of September so the likelihood of him being signed by a different club is also not very high I honestly don't know if we would see Thomas Meunier uh, play for Dortmund in any part should he stay on on the team because I just really don't think that Eden Tessic rates him as a player whatsoever. I mean, when uh, in in his very first stint as the interim coach, uh, Morey was already uh, the preferred choice. Back then, obviously, we don't know uh, what the situation is with Matteo Morey. Uh, this season, what we know, that Marius Wolf and uh, Julian Riasson right now are the de facto right back uh, number one options. And I think ahead of that in packing order uh, would also be Niklas Zule if it weren't for Dortmund only having three center backs and one already being injured, um, which in itself is a bit problematic. And I really do hope that Dortmund sign another center back um, in this transfer window because I just don't see... Um, how Dortmund can go through a season with three real centre-back options and I don't think that uh, uh, Koulibaly or Papadopoulos are there yet um, to be trusted with uh, real Bundesliga minutes. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but, um, you know, should should it be the case, and I have a feeling it will be, that two out of three, or maybe even all three centre-backs, <laughs> are injured for a Champions League night. Uh, I don't think I want Papadopoulos there. I think there needs to be a fourth option. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that, Matthias, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's something that Zabitza also can do, but I'm not really sure about that. Amrachan has done it before. Um, maybe Ashan, someone who can also play centre-back at really... If Really push comes to shove, but I'm not really happy with with either of these options. If I'm truly honest, I'd rather have a, another fourth solid center back option. Should it be out there somewhere? No, I agree. I, I don't think your backup to your three central defenders should be Emre Can because I think John is more valuable to the squad in the number six role. Um, now, obviously, he can do that, and then you can shift around in midfield because now you have that depth uh, specifically at that position. 
That being said, I, you know, Koulibaly, Papadopoulos, I just don't think they're good enough for the Bundesliga and beyond. So, you know, I just, yeah, I, I hope they bring someone in uh, who can be young. That's okay. Um, or, you know, again, falling in that, you know, 26 to 29 year old veteran who doesn't have a problem with being in a rotation because Dortmund are going to have to rotate this season. Yeah. Agreed. And obviously, um, when we're on the right back subject, do you think that Dortmund should sign another one or are you happy with Rierson and Wolf as your two main options and then maybe an, an inkling of hope that Matteo Morey can play at some point in some capacity and maybe even Thomas Meunier because obviously... A lot of people dump on Thomas Meunier and uh, obviously there are better right-backs out there, but he's also not the very worst, I would say, if he's no. available. I mean, I would say he's probably one of the, if not the best, crosser that Dortmund have. I mean, his crosses are exceptionally well-placed. But you, with Meunier and with Moray, I mean, you have two of the most injury-prone players I have ever seen at Dortmund. And so, you know, people like dunking on him because it's easy on social media to dump on other people. I try not to do that as much as possible because I just think it's cheap. Um, you know, he's not he's probably not going anywhere in this transfer window, but I don't think Dortmund need to sign another right back. I mean, Riazon and Wolf, the beauty of them is they can also play on the left side. Riazon a little bit better than Wolf, but I think you have the depth there right now. And like you said, I mean, Morin, see what happens there. Meunier, he comes back from his injury. I mean, he's at least there. It's at least someone who can play the role if you need to shift things around. Yeah, yeah. Shift shift around is also uh, the thing that Aiden uh, will have to do on the attacking positions. Now, um, obviously, it's it's very annoying that both Julian Duranville and Jamie Bynogetens, who I think is still recovering from yet another shoulder surgery, um, yeah, that they are both out. Um, Duranville, I think, has muscular problems and uh, Karim Adeyemi also currently out uh, with muscular problems and we're not quite sure what his problem is because uh, he obviously carried uh, muscular problems throughout the entirety of um, the summer break, more or less. So I was surprised to even see him play at, at some point in the uh, during the US tour, but uh, right now he's obviously out. Uh, with an injury and uh, that to me is very problematic because um, I think Dortmund's starting 11 is very clearly Malen on the one side and Kari Adiemi on the other and if you have that set up with then either Julian Brandt and uh, Alea or Reus um, for example or say even Girena, um, if should he be fit ever <laughs> then I think you have one of the most lethal attacks in the Bundesliga. Uh, but Adiemi, to me, has to be fit. Has to be fit also because I do think that Sebastian Allaire, um hate to say this, but he looks a little stiff out there. He is not the quickest anymore, so you will have to have someone uh, who has really above-average pace, and uh, in uh, Karim Adiemi's case, that is most certainly the case. <laughs> um, now we obviously have uh, Togen Hazard back in the lineup I don't know if he'll be around uh, till the end of the season if there are, uh, are clubs out there that want to sign him or not but um, to me that's already a bit of a problem uh, that Dortmund uh, are missing so many key players and, and Bino Gittens and Duranville's uh, I think Bino Gittens has proven a little bit more Duranville is obviously still very young and very raw um, but uh, they are both, from their skill sets, also difference makers that uh, can win you games off the bench. And to not have that right now um, is is very annoying to to go into the season like that um, because that dampens a little bit of my excitement um, because these are obviously all talents that, uh, you know, will go through the roof. I mean, Karim Adeyemi, with his pace alone, um, will just crush defenses time and time again and considering uh, that he has developed quite well in his first season I don't see why it wouldn't continue like that should he stay relatively injury free because uh, one can already predict 
um, that muscular problems will probably be a, a theme for him as the season uh, continues. So, Matthias, looking at the attacking midfield and midfield in general, however, you know, we've talked about Emre Can, I think we've named-dropped Charlie Oshan at least, with Metra Zabitza, uh, with Julian Brand, of course, with Reina, we have Royce, um, and uh, all the attackers that I just mentioned, plus uh, Yusuf Mokoko. Um, do you think that Dortmund need to sign another midfielder, be it for the wing, be it for center, be it for striker, uh, playmaker? Where where do you see uh, a potential where Dortmund need to sign players, or do you think the the squad and the depth as is is fairly decent? Well, it's definitely fairly decent. Um, as far as a position that I think Dortmund need. I I I would like a solid backup and rotational option to Sebastian Alea. I don't think that's Yusufa Mukoko. Personally, I think Mukoko is an amazing player. I would like to see him out there more often, but not necessarily as the so, sole center forward. Uh, given the way Dortmund play with Alea in there, if you can have someone slot in to fill that role more closely, then I think you just have this solid rotation. Now, you can make the argument Mokoko gives them something different, something they can try, a different angle to throw teams off. And if you want to go two strikers, you have, you know, the big and the the big and the small, so to speak, uh, approach that you can go so with So you're there. saying we have failed to replace Anthony Modest. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I wouldn't go quite, maybe physically, uh, but beyond that, that's really the only place that I would see an, a more obvious gap when it comes to a playmaker. I think, uh, you know, Julian Brandt is the obvious. I think Zabitza is a very good uh, passer of the ball. Um, uh, Gio Reyna, when he's healthy and has his head on straight, is a creative passer. So you've got playmaking ability there. Uh, Marco Royce, he's going to have to become that more just because pace and dribbling alone won't carry him much further. So he's yeah, going to have to change. We really have to say about Royce, sadly, his finishing has kind of dipped too. Correct. But I mean, he's 34. It's, it's bound to happen sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, it's surprising it didn't happen sooner uh, given his past injury issues. Togan Azad, you mentioned... I mean, when Hazard is on, when he's on form, he's very good. Also, as a kind of playmaking type player, but uh, it's been a few seasons well, since and, he and was. And the that. club and the player have moved on. I mean, they're just like you're here because you're not somewhere else, <laughs> you know. And and that's uh, that's it's it's a bummer. I like him, um, and it'll be a bummer to see him leave. But uh, at the same time, you know, not like gut-wrenching to see him leave. It won't be a downgrade for Dortmund. Right now, it'll be a little bit of loss in depth, but uh, I think overall, Dortmund are in a good position because you can put a Reina, a Brandt, a Royce in those wing positions just as easily as you can put them centrally. So Dortmund have a lot of options there. So I wouldn't really see now any new additions needed for midfield centrally or on the wings. The only place that I still have... A question mark is that center forward role as a backup to Alea because we're now coming into an opportunity that I'm excited about is seeing Alea play a full season and yeah. really seeing what he's able to do. He showed a lot in that half season, unfortunately not in the last game, um, but uh, <laughs> in that that's that half of a season. Now, if you can just kind of carry over that form consistently for a full season, I mean, he's the set number one striker. Mukoko won't be happy being the backup forever. But again, Alea is 29 years old. So, you know, there there is a, a ticking clock there as well. And Mukoko needs to grow a little bit, also physically a little bit. So that's, the, you know, if I break down the entire squad, the only two positions are central defender and central forward where I would really like Dortmund to add some depth. Yeah, I would actually argue that I personally would prefer a right back with even more quality than we already have. Riasson 
obviously has shown some dribbling magic <laughs> in the preseason and uh, you know he is a better put footballer than he's given credit for um, but I still think that uh, overall Dortmund can improve on that position I'll um, I'll be satisfied with Ben Zabaini for now but maybe even on that position ideally you want to improve but um, you know good fullbacks are really hard to find as uh, is shown now and I think the Riasson transfer from Union Berlin was a really smart one um, so overall, I'm I'm fairly happy with that, and uh, Marius Wolf is obviously uh, also really a hustler who, um, yeah, uh, I mean, has hustled himself into the German national team. Um, so that I guess is also positive, even though the German national team isn't what it used to be. Uh, we also have to admit. Um, but that being said, I think you are right on the money um, when it comes to. Uh, the player type of uh, Sebastian Alea because I do believe that Dortmund are desperate for a, a backup for Alea and that's not because I don't rate Mokoko. I think he is very good and capable player but just playing style-wise uh, Mokoko sadly is a bit of the, the victim um, here because he also needs an Alea ideally to play off of or a, a player type like him um, because the main strength of Alea Besides his finishing, is obviously his hold-up play. And uh, that makes him really valuable uh, for the, the way Dortmund attack and, and play. And uh, so often um, counter-attacks that Dortmund uh, finish are started by him uh, retaining the ball for a couple of seconds in midfield. And if I'm honest, my my ideal solution, I think, right now would be Marvin Dux from Werder Bremen. Um, obviously, born in Dortmund, has played for Dortmund and... Um, He's 29 years old, you know, his transfer market value is around 8 million. Um, I obviously don't know what um, his his plans are and if he wants to be a number two or number three striker for Dortmund currently, um, no idea. But that being said, um, just from the, the player profile, because he's also someone that can uh, hold up the ball fairly well, um, that can... Uh, you know, win you some headers uh, if if need be, and also someone that that brings a certain dynamic um, to the center for what position. Um, to me, that would be the ideal uh, solution. I don't know if he's available. I also don't know if Dortmund are even uh, inclined to sign him. But I know there were some rumors, uh, a, a couple, uh, I think uh, last season, end of last season or mid last season, something like that. Um, but I don't know if anything material is to it, but uh, that to me is a player that would make sense or, uh, you know, someone someone like him, just from the player type. Um, I think that that would uh, work out quite well. Um, Dortmund often had uh, reliable backup strikers, be it Adrian Ramos. <laughs> I wouldn't even go as far as say... Uh, Nikita Rangelov, <laughs> I thought he was great, even though uh, probably not many people will remember him. But um, yeah, uh, certainly needed, and uh, you, you just need need a Julian Schieber type, you know, a, a bullish player to bring on late that uh, brings on some dynamicism, along with your dribblers of the Duranvilles and Bino Gittens, etc., etc. So. Um, Overall, I think depth-wise, Dortmund, especially in attacking positions, are well set if it weren't for the 8th millionth injury they are already celebrating um, going into the season. So, um, Matthias, if we uh, then look at Dortmund's uh, season, we obviously uh, now have the cup game on Saturday, and uh, then we play... Cologne at home, then Bochum away, then Heidenheim at home. So uh, playing against uh, very brave teams coming up from the second division uh, early in the season is usually not very comfortable. Then away to Freiburg, home to Wolfsburg, away to Hoffenheim and then Union Berlin. So I've seen people saying that Dortmund have to win all these games, uh, but honestly, um, I just don't see it. It's It's a very tough opening uh program if you will um what what do you make of the opening weeks for this season and how do you perceive uh Dortmund's form for for the start of the season how well do you think the black and yellows will handle it 
Well, uh, I mean, shouldn't ignore shut minds. Last time, don't we played against a minds team? It didn't end too well. <sighs> so um, I'm already so tired. I'm so yeah. tired. But uh, you know, looking at the Bundesliga schedule, um, yeah, I mean, none of these are easy. I mean, we can say that about any match. You can look at it and go, "Oh, this is not going to be easy." But Köln, Bochum, Heidenheim are 100% three matches Dortmund must win. Uh, and it'll be interesting because obviously Köln, you know, it's hit or miss with them. They can either be very difficult for Dortmund or Dortmund can blow them away. Bochum, they were they were combative for Dortmund last season. So it'll be kind of nice to see that one. Heidenheim, we'll see. They'll definitely be up for it. Uh, can I just say I'm really happy to see Heidenheim in the Bundesliga because they did it the right way. And the fact that their coach was born in Heidenheim, I think less than 10 minutes away from the stadium, and he's been their coach since the Verbandsliga, uh, that says a lot to to running a club. This is a So for everybody who's international, this includes the media, this is actually a Cinderella story. Not Hoffenheim, certainly not Leipzig, not Wolfsburg, Heidenheim. This is this is a cool story. And then it's followed by the next cool story in Freiburg, and that's really where you know these next matches after Heidenheim, Freiburg, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Union Berlin. Those are going to be tough. Um, the advantage don't want to have is Wolfsburg and Union Berlin at home. Those were very good matches for them last season. Uh, Freiburg and Hoffenheim away are always going to be difficult because, of course, of course, Stefan. Hoffenheim is a Friday night game because of course it is. And <laughs> and I'm just so sick of seeing Dortmund play under the floodlights in Hoffenheim. I just I cannot stand seeing it. I don't know why it's a constant, consistent theme, but for some reason it is. And if we look at, you know, in September, Dortmund play twice on Friday against Heidenheim and then Hoffenheim. And then, let's see, October, they've got another Friday night match. And, okay, November and then most of December, they don't. But it's, it's a it's Well, a it's weird, not scheduled yet. <laughs> it's not scheduled yet, that's true. But it's it's interesting that Dortmund get Friday nights a few times. I'll be curious to see once Champions League starts, what that does schedule-wise. Um, but uh, I would say these... You know, Köln, Bochum, Heidenheim are the perfect ones to get started with to then deal with Freiburg, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, and Union Berlin. Yeah, I'm I'm also really intrigued to see, just in general, if Dortmund can keep up the points average that they were scoring in the second half of the season, uh, even if you like add the, the last two games because the, the season was obviously cut in half a little bit differently due to the World Cup. Um, so if you if you uh, look at the post-World Cup period, I don't know, I don't have it right in front of me, um, but it was certainly above two points. And um, a trajectory, um, if, if Dortmund, you know, they look really good. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of it's annoying that um, we did not have the classic yellow wall look back at the season is it's just because I was too butthurt and didn't want to talk about it if we we're being honest <laughs> but Matthias um, had we done that we would have certainly discussed how well Dawn had developed um, also as an attacking team which uh, at the beginning of the season you know just think back to games like the cup match away to Hanover you know just horrible horrible football luckily it has improved now obviously the, the question is can Dortmund carry on and continue on that path, even though they are minus Jude Bellingham, who obviously is a major factor <laughs> for Dortmund playing well um, over such a long stretch of time? Um, so maybe maybe that's the question I should just ask you right now. Do you think that Dortmund are capable of doing that? Because obviously Didi Harman is already out here saying that Dortmund uh, will, know we're, will not be near any title race. So that already makes me optimistic <laughs> that they are. Um, but uh, what what is your outlook? Because and maybe I have to I have to uh, emphasize that um, Dortmund have said 
clearly that they want to win the title this season, that they approach the season with we want to win the title um, approach and not uh, let's wait and see what's going to happen. So what do you think? Well, I mean, the good thing is you can just ignore anything Didi Haman says or Jan Olga Fjotoft or any of these people because they're just mouthpieces who are clickbaiting. The fact of the matter is that that second half of the season, Dortmund were scoring goals and gaining points at a record pace across all European leagues. That is not sustainable long term. Uh, and, and there will be dip. There will nobody be wants to hear that. I know nobody wants to hear it, um, but there will be ebbs and flows to the season. Now, if Dortmund can do just half of that in the first half of the season, whereas last year, the first half of the season, Dortmund didn't get near that. Well, first of all, Dortmund would have won the title. But second of all, Dortmund are then in a title race in the Bundesliga as well because Bayern are also the big unknown. I mean, I know, you know, if they bring in Harry Kane, which, good Lord, you want to talk about stuff that breaks my heart. Um, that that would be right <laughs> right at the top of that list. I, I tried to steer clear of that for your sake. Yeah, um, that that could be a huge difference maker. I mean, that's that then then Bayern are in in a completely different echelon just from a goal scoring perspective uh, that they currently are not in. They just aren't. Uh, if Bayern don't get Kane, then obviously. Dortmund are in it. Now, the thing about Harry Kane for Bayern is Harry Kane is a goal machine who doesn't get injured a lot. And that's great for Harry Kane. It's great for Tottenham. It's not so great for Borussia Dortmund and the rest of the Bundesliga. Let's be perfectly honest because, you know, I mean, you're basically getting another Lewandowski type striker. And, and you know, Bayern with Lewandowski was that was that was as close to unstoppable as you can get and so there there is a concern there i think that will be the big wild card right now over the next few weeks that will show how close this could or could not be um that missing component for bayan and i think yeah it can be close for a long portion of the season i think they will have their ups and downs as well Maybe less so than last season, but overall, it's more or less the same team. So I don't really see much difference there. But again, if you bring in a Harry Kane and then for some reason your Manuel Noya backup keeper is Kepa, uh, which is an interesting one that popped up the other day, uh, then it's, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough no matter what, but... I think Dortmund can be in the title race, but it's down to them to not have the Mainz-Schalke-Bochum point-dropping matches. If Stuttgart. You, Stuttgart. <laughs> Bremen. If, I mean, if you lose matches because the other team played better, I don't have a problem with that. If you lose points because the other team got their fair share of luck of refereeing decisions and you just couldn't buy a goal despite overwhelming chances. Those are the matches that just kill me. And I mean, at the end of the day, flip one of those games that we mentioned, don't one win the Bundesliga. I mean, that's, that's the frustrating part about it. I don't think it's going to be quite that way. because I just don't see Bayern dropping points on a consistent basis that they did in the second half of last season. They It was like Dortmund and Bayern had the reverse seasons last yeah. year. I mean, Bayern and don't have to drop points at the same rate no. of Dortmund can somewhat stay where they were in second half of Correct. the season. Correct. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting season uh, because there are a few unknowns. Also below those two. I mean, there are people who said, you know, Leipzig, you're going to be up there. I, I mean, Leipzig, you're going to be definitely near there. I don't know if they're going to be up there. Smakwolz is also very much capable of outthinking himself. Uh, Leverkusen will be an interesting one up there. You have no idea what to expect out of the likes of Frankfurt. I think Freiburg and Union Berlin, those were blips that they were pushing for Champions League. I don't necessarily see them there this year because they will also be playing Europe again and that always throws 
a fly into the ointment. So it's going to be an interesting season. I mean, also a club like Gladbach. I have no idea what to expect there. I, I expect like 10th, 8th, 9th, somewhere in there. Um, where do you think in the Bundesliga Schalke will finish? Well, Stefan, it's uh, interesting that you should mention that. I think they will uh, regain promotion to the Bundesliga and uh, from the Zweite Bundesliga, which is going to be an interesting Zweite Bundesliga season. It's already proven so far. So, yeah, no no Schalke. <laughs> yeah, which is even more a factor why match day two is a must-win against Bochum. Because there are only two Revier Derbys. And thanks to Bochum, there even are two review derbies because, let's be real, usually if Schalke get relegated, there are zero. So I'm I'm very thankful for that. But uh, obviously, you have to have to have to have to have six points against Bochum this season. Can't can't fuck around like that anymore. You just cannot. But I yeah, fully Bochum agree. away is it's just never easy. You can make it easy, but you have to break them very early in the game, and then keep stomping away that can make it a little easier but yeah it's just it's just never gonna go that way is it um anywho matthias i think that just about does it for this week's episode we shall already be back next week it's gonna be a, a new rhythm for us now after i've uh took my sweet time off <laughs> i i cannot Begin to describe how wonderful it was to not have to deal with professional sports uh, during the off season in, in general. Just uh, I'm I'm a much happier person all around. Uh, maybe I should try it more often. But uh, Matthias, are there any subjects that uh, you wanted to discuss that we should discuss that I've missed? Otherwise, um, we can probably do that next week as we then probably discuss the match against uh, Shot Mines and. Uh, course preview the season opener against SFC Köln. No, I am wunschlos glücklich as we say <laughs> in German, so no, it's all good. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right, as always uh, everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. We shall be back next week as I just said. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>